the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, all right. Today's message will be a continuation of last week's message. We started a series on uh, marriage called The Ten Don'ts of Your I Do's. And we were talking about, you know, the ten little foxes in the hen house that kind of pull down the strongholds that your marriage should be. They begin to make things crumble when you're not looking. You know, little things can add up. And some of these things aren't so little, are they? As we saw last week. Hebrews 13.4 was our launching scripture. It says, can you cut me down just a little bit? Because I'm scaring myself. Hebrews 13.4 says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Pretty simple, isn't it? Honor marriage for what it is, a God-given institution, and be faithful to one another to do your part in marriage. So let's recap the, the first five. We went over the first five last week real quick, the first five foxes in the hen house the first thing was trying to change one another we go into marriage thinking we'll get them to change or somewhere along the line we we see a better version of them as we imagine and we begin to try to change one another but who's the only person that you can change you right it's the only person that you can change the second thing was going into marriage or being in marriage and having an exit strategy Well, if things don't work out, we can always get a (laughs) the D word. You know, having an exit strategy, no good. Get rid of your exit strategies. (laughs) The third thing was how we divide things into his or hers. She's got a bank account, I got a bank, you know. Separation, the enemy of marriage. Marriage is about coming together in one, you know. The fourth hint, uh, Fox was a boss mentality. Somebody's doing all the bossing and and making all the decisions. The fifth thing was keeping score. Y'all remember these? Was anybody here last week? Y'all got a good memory, right? Keeping score. Can you I've got a good memory. Can does anybody remember when you were young? When you were little, do you have glimpses, you know, when I was four or five, I remember this and that. I've got, you know, I, I remember the day that I was born. <laughs> yeah, I remember being in the delivery room. I came out an ugly kid. <laughs> I was so ugly, the doctor held me up by the ankles and slapped my mama. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. You want jokes? I got jokes. I I was so ugly. They put tinted windows on my incubator. You know, I was ugly kid. I don't get no respect. You know, no respect at all. (laughs) I was an ugly kid. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. 
But I grew up an ugly kid, too, you know. My mama dropped me off at school. They find her for littering. I don't know. <laughs> Say, stop. Somebody stop me. Say, stop, Pastor. <laughs> but I was ugly, I tell you. <laughs> I was so ugly, I had to trick-or-treat by phone, you know. <laughs> I ran Angie off. <laughs> she told me, stay away from jokes. <laughs> Stay to your day job, you know. I'm just trying to loosen you up a little bit, you know. But I was ugly. I, my parents bought me a boomerang. I threw it. It didn't come back, you know. <laughs> I was ugly, I tell you. Why am I sounding like Rodney Dangerfield? I don't know. I don't get no respect. No respect at all. But really, my earliest memories, I would say, was probably, I, I remember being in the crib. And I remember, do you remember a, a space toy that I had in the crib, like a silver thing that made lights and music and stuff? A little space toy I had. I remember that, just glimpses. You get glimpses of, of the past, you know. <laughs> I remember as I got a little older, I stole one of my grandfather's cigars he had in the house and, and a box of matches and went out in the cotton field and hid, and guess what I did? I took a few puffs. <laughs> and that was the last puffs I ever took. I've never smoked nothing since then. <laughs> and then there's the not so nice memories that you have uh, I remember my mom and dad calling me into the kitchen table having me sit down and tell me that they were going to get a divorce and I didn't know what a divorce was but they explained that daddy was leaving and that I would still get to see him, but he wasn't going to be here with us anymore. And so everything that I knew as family as an eight-year-old was like suddenly turned upside down. And I, I remember crying, and I remember saying, please don't, don't, don't do this. You know, why, why? And I began to feel like it was my fault, and I'm sorry. And, and that's, that's the kind of thing divorce does. But, you know, life goes on. Many of us have come from divorced families, right? And we grew up almost normal people. I, I did. I grew up and went about my way, and I got jobs and everything. And somewhere along the line, uh, I was able to secure the world's most beautiful, green-eyed, red-headed woman in the world and get her to marry me, you know? And that's, that's hard for somebody who has a sneak up on a mirror, you know? <laughs> that was good for me, you know, to be, be able to get a beautiful woman. And the thing about it is, when I got that beautiful woman, I didn't know any of these things that we're talking about marriage. I didn't know the Lord. All I knew was she was beautiful and I had to have her. And so I made her mine. Would you come here, Angie? Come on. Give, give my wife a round of applause. See, I'm trying to make up for last week when I, when I put my hand on her head and said, you know, that we lost that loving feeling a long time ago. You remember when I said that? I didn't mean it like that, okay? I meant that initial, you know, in love feeling. I'm sorry, Angie. We are more in love now than we have ever been. And Angie, you know, she comes from a background of divorce as well. 
when she was two, her parents divorced. So it was kind of like in the cards for us not to work out so well. And in fact, after we had dated for three years, we got married. Somewhere along the seventh year of being together, um, things had gotten bad in our marriage. Like I said, we didn't know none of these principles. We were just out there on our own, and that's the way the devil likes it. We weren't in church. We weren't listening to good teaching. We were just going with our feelings, and when the feelings were leaving, we were about ready to leave too. But guess what happened? Somebody invited us to this church about 20 years ago. And uh, we came here. We gave our hearts to Jesus. We began to see God had a, a beautiful plan for marriage. It was so much more than we thought, you know. It was so much more than just her beauty on the outside, you know. It was so much more. And so God saved our marriage and showed us, because we were right there. We could have went right on with that generational curse of divorce in our families. And right now, you know, she could be somewhere else, I could be somewhere else, and our kids could be somewhere else. But God broke that generational curse. And now we intend to make sure it's broken in our children's lives and it's broken in your lives. And so that's what I wanted to say. Um, It's not always been easy. You know, marriage is not easy, but it's worth fighting for. She is the best thing in my life besides Jesus. And, you know, it's a struggle sometimes, but most of the time it's a beautiful thing. Marriage can be a very, very beautiful thing when you learn to do your part and you learn to fight. And uh, so I just wanted to bring her up here. Is there anything that you wanted to share? You talk big when you're not in front of people. Yeah. Come on, come on. Okay. Don't be shy. Uh, marriage is a very important subject to me because of what God's done in our marriage. I'm so thankful. Probably other than my salvation, it's the thing I'm most thankful for. Because I know where we were. I know how easy it could have been to go that way. We were at a crossroads just like so many. I don't think there is a marriage that doesn't come to a crossroads at some point. No, None that I've ever heard of. And I'm just so thankful that God saved my marriage you know he brought us so far and and it just that's why when I talk to people when I talk to y'all and you know I know everybody goes through you're all at different stages in your marriage and that's why it's so hard there's so many things that affect your marriage you know you marry when you're 20 years old you're a kid you know or and then you grow to these old people so just think how different a person you are by the time you get there and all the things you go through little kids teenagers in-laws bills, money, jobs, you know, everything, all these things affect you, and y'all got to work these things together to get through it, you know, and it's not easy, that's why really the only thing, I mean, is God, I mean, I thankfully that at that time that it, for us, we knew enough, we hadn't been living for the Lord, but I had grown up a Christian, and I knew that only God can save this, and that's when we started going to church, and he, you know, it's crazy to think that we're up here, you know, now knowing where we came from, and, um, you know, as he said, my parents divorced when I was two, uh, they were very young when they had me, my mom was like 17, my dad was 19, so they were really young, um, I never remember them being together at all, um, right after that, my dad remarried to my stepmom, 
I'm trying to not tell you my whole life story, but you asked for it, so. <laughs> uh, my dad married my stepmom, and I lived with my dad and my stepmom my whole life. They raised me, so she was my mama. I called her mama, and, um, and I always felt like my parents' divorce didn't affect me because I didn't remember it. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't like him where I remembered a parent leaving or anything like that um, until I had my first daughter, and then all these things uh, started coming to me, and I know it was from it was insecurities it was just things from my mom giving me up because I live with my dad um, let me get focused okay so later when me and Guy started having these issues we had my Kaylee was born my first daughter my only daughter she was like a year old around that time and when our marriage came to this point I was thinking like I remember thinking like Kaylee's gonna be just like me you know we're, we're gonna divorce before she even remembers us being together she'll never remember us being together you know, we'll have to, somebody's going to have to wake up without her on Christmas. You know, all these thoughts I remember thinking, you know, it broke my heart because I knew we both, how much we both loved her. You know, she was only a year old then. And how much I didn't want that for her. Even though I grew up loved, you know, both sides of the family, you know, I wasn't, didn't feel rejected or abused or anything. It still is not God's perfect plan. You know, if you don't have to go that way, don't go, you know. God works through it all and everything, but um, I was just, I just remember thinking like, you're fixing to do to her what you didn't want to do and what you didn't want for your kids, you know? And just, I just thank God that that's not what happened and that we did break that cycle. And um, and just, I just encourage all of you, I know it's hard, but um, the main thing I'll just say is just keep coming to church, keep crying out to God, and keep Him focused as a priority because there's so many things, as I said, that's going to try to come in between that marriage. And, and you know, and the only thing that's going to save it is, is God and having Him, loving Him the most and having Him help you to love them, mm-hmm. you know, and not think of yourself, love them more. So, Thank you. One thing we said last week was uh, marriages don't fly on autopilot. And the reason that we decided we felt like, you know what, I would much rather be preaching and telling you about Jesus and some story in the Bible. That's what I like to do. That's where I feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable teaching, especially on marriage, because I've been a bonehead and made all the mistakes that I'm talking about. You know, it, I don't... I'm not, I don't feel like I, this is something I really like to do, but it's something that the Lord showed me is necessary because God cares about strong marriages. And I see and I hear things that make me think that grown Christian marriages that's been, been married for 10, 15, 25 years are at times putting things on autopilot. And marriages do not fly along on autopilot. So that's why we're teaching this. Let's go ahead and get back into the sixth thing. We've talked about five. The sixth thing, the sixth fox in the hen house is feelings versus commitment. Feelings versus commitment. This is on your sheet if you're taking notes. Love is a commitment more than a feeling. Love is a commitment more than it is a feeling. Some might, might look up and say, well, pastor, I've lost that love and feeling for my wife or something, you know. And I'm like, well, what does that got to do with it? It's probably because you put your marriage on autopilot. Um, 
Feelings can get us into big trouble. Feelings without commitment can get us into big trouble, especially if not harnessed properly. You see these people that's been remarried five and six times. Why? Because every time they lost that love and feeling, they were gone. When the feeling was gone, they were gone. Chasing that momentary in love feeling that I'm telling you is a chemical imbalance <laughs> that ma- makes you like a dough in heat or something or a buck in rut. Uh, let's just be honest. It is something that happens to us. We, oh, they're so perfect when you first meet them and you fall in love. But let's be realistic. After that, you got to work. You, you can't put it on autopilot. It don't last long. I wrote this, and it's on your sheet. A deeper love is yet awaiting those who will dig for it, endure for it, and fight for it. As wonderful as that in love feeling is, it is so much deeper when you, you can look at that person 25 years from now and you have grown old with that person and you have been through so much with that person and, and you know they got your back and you got their back and, and you love them so much deeper than you did just because they had green eyes and red hair. I mean, it goes so much deeper. I mean, that green eyes and red hair is still a bonus. Does your salvation depend on your feelings? <laughs> because, you know, one day I may wake up and not feel saved at all. I may remember what I did yesterday. Oh, man, I'm not even saved. Or you may be going through that period in your life where you feel like you're in the valley and God hadn't spoke to you in so long and he's testing you or something to see. He's testing you, why? To see if you have a commitment instead of just feelings. Some of you are going through a valley right now, and he's testing your commitment. He has proved his commitment to you. Now do you believe it? And are you committed to him? And I would say this. Feelings follow where commitment is honored. When you feel that commitment from your spouse, and they feel it from you, those feelings will follow but if you're talking the D word and, you're, and y'all are separated and all these things we've been talking about, the feelings are rushing away. Commit to court your spouse again and see if those loving feelings don't come rushing back. Have a date night. Do things together. Communicate. <laughs> all right. Number seven, constant criticism in the marriage. You know, you ever have a light come on on your dashboard? It's a signal that something's wrong under the hood, right? Well, if you have a marriage where it's just nagging, 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 constant criticism, can't do anything right, you're bickering all the time, well, that's a warning sign that something is wrong in your marriage because nagging is only good for one thing. And that's to drive somebody away. Are you listening to me? I preach kind of hard, don't I? But I say it in love. (laughs) And if you're constantly reminding somebody of all their negative traits, and you're constantly bringing up everything that they do wrong, eventually they're going to be beat down, and they're going to live down to your expectations. And say, well, this is who I am. That's who my wife says I am. That's who my husband says I am. This is just who I am. And so they just begin to identify with where you've put them. 
I'm telling you, nagging is not your friend. It is your biggest enemy. Well, not the biggest. We've got a lot of big enemies here. But it's one of your biggest enemies. It's working against you. And it's also a veiled attempt to try to change your spouse. And we talked about that last week, didn't we? Doesn't work. Who can you change? You. So just don't nag anymore. What do, you, what do you do when you have these feelings and you just want to criticize? And you maybe have every right in the world to criticize. Huh? What do you do? Well, you could go back to your vows and remember the for better or for worse. And remember, you're the one said, I do, knowing the way they are now. You loved them back then. You kind of overlooked them faults and everything back then, didn't you? You was acting like you didn't see them because you were so in love. Well, you said your I do's. Learn to celebrate those differences. Because we're not, we're, you know, God puts two people together with strengths and weaknesses. And so you be their strength when they're acting weak. For example, sometimes I walk around the house, or I used to, a long time ago. And I, I don't do this anymore. Pastor wouldn't do this. But anyway, I would like say, Angie, when's the last time we dusted the top of the refrigerator? Or Angie, when's the last time, you know, I, what's that thing over the fireplace? The, man, the mantle's all dusty. Angie's like, I can't see the top of the refrigerator. I can't see the mantle. I'm like 6'4". She's like 4'6", you know. Okay, she's 5-something, but... So what did I do? I learned to dust. Once a year, whether it needs it or not, I'm liable to pull out a dust rag and dust. See... Angie doesn't see details. I see details. I know which Kleenex boxes are not lined up in these rows right now. So when I go home, I used to, I'm a perfectionist, and I used to struggle with nagging. All these things I've done wrong. Okay? And so, look at him putting in the, I saw that, Chad. <laughs> Putting a Kleenex box out there like that. Anyway, we're different. She doesn't see the details. You know, she can do eight loads of laundry, do the dishes, um, all kind of other stuff, do the grocery shopping and everything, and I'll come in the house and there'll be one sock over there in the living room. I'll say, what'd you do all day? <laughs> you, you know? I see the details. And so we have learned if we're going to live together without scarring each other's faces, you know, I do the detail work and she does most of everything else. <laughs> Godly spouses cover their spouse's weaknesses. They don't expose them. That's what love does, right? It covers. And besides... Do you really want them to be just like you? You don't even like some things about you. You can't even be the you you want to be, but yet you want them to be the you you want them to be. You, you want them to be. Let them be them. Celebrate their strengths and weaknesses. Love them for who they are. 
Proverbs 29, 21.9, Proverbs 21.9, I'm glad it, it says this and not me. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. <laughs> what? The Bible says it's better to live in an attic than to be in a nice home with a nagging wife. And then, Proverbs 21, 19, it says it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Women, is, does your man often go up to the attic? <laughs> but, ladies, let me balance this out. Proverbs 26, 21 says as coals are to burning or as coals are to burning coals and wood to fire so is a contentious man to kindle strife a contentious man always got to have his way murmuring and complaining about everything contentious he kindles strife and where strife is the bible says there's every evil work <coughs> so guys ladies Okay, the eighth thing. It's another big one, man. These are big ones. That's why, I, that's why we chose them. Putting marriage on hold for any length of time for any reason. Just putting your marriage on hold predominantly for kids. Like so many people. You got married, you had kids, and guess what? The kids began take first place over the marriage. Don't fall into the trap of putting your spouse on hold to raise your kids because marriage don't fly on autopilot. And that's putting your marriage on autopilot. And rule number one, rule number one, no kids in the marriage bed. <laughs> I did it. I look back, I wish I wouldn't have done it. We, they're so cute. They got the little eyes and stuff and they're batting them at you. Can I sleep with you? I'm scared in my bed. And I, get a lock for the door. <laughs> the marriage bed is not, is, is not for raising kids. It's for creating kids. Yeah, well, that's not a form of birth control we want to use, putting the kid in between you. Look, we could do a whole nother teaching on this. I mean, we could go several weeks on the importance of the marriage bed. I'm not going to get into it because I just didn't feel led to do it here. But if ain't something good happening in the marriage bed, then there usually ain't nothing good happening anywhere else. And some of you have put that on hold for six months, a year, two years. Don't do it no more at all. The marriage bed gets no activity other than snoring. I'm just going to be honest with you. That could be the source of a lot of your stress. You wonder why your husband is cranky all the time? <laughs> Seriously, though. God says don't defraud one another. Don't, don't deprive one another. 
but except for just a short time if in agreement to, to, to prayer or something. And, and that your, your body is your spouse's. And so it belongs to your spouse. And don't deprive one another of what's supposed to happen in the marriage bed. I, I'm preaching this, and I promised I wouldn't. But it's so important. And you certainly can't just let your kids come in and bat those eyes, and, and the marriage bed loses its flavor. Don't let those little boogers play you. They will. Man, kids are something else. They learn quick how to play mommy and daddy. Daddy, can I go somewhere? No, you don't need to go there right now. Mommy, can I go somewhere? Yeah, I guess so. He gets back, he's like, daddy's like, I told you you couldn't go. Mama said I could. Uh Uh-uh. Mommy, daddy put on a united front. That happens, that's rebellion. They don't, look, the first time they go ask mommy after daddy already said, that's getting in trouble time. And let me say something, this is a side note, for, mostly for men. Men, boy, I'm tough. That's why I started you out with some jokes to try to loosen the mood up. All right, men, if your kids disrespect your wife, talk bad to them, don't treat them with honor, that's your fault. You shouldn't allow that. And I got another question. Where are they getting that from? Is that the way you want your, the way you talk to your wife? Is that the way you want your kids talking to your wife? I know it can go the other way sometimes. Kids talk bad to their dads, you know, because the wife does or allows it to go on. Don't do that. You've got to be a united front. Kids may be cuter, easier to control, but one day they'll move out. They'll be gone and you'll be stuck there with that neighbor, you know, that roommate that you vaguely remember. You don't want that to happen. With your kids in the marriage, your first priority is to point them to Jesus. Because he'll be there long after you're dead and gone. And they'll need him their whole life. That's your first priority. Your second priority is to show little Johnny how to love his wife. To show little Debbie how to love her husband. Show them what a good marriage is supposed to be like. Because the marriage is the nucleus of of God's design. It's at the core of it, and it's what, what we're losing here in America. We're allowing our marriages to fall apart at the rate of divorce at 50% on every marriage, and it's, it's got to stop. That's what's wrong with our society. The families are crumbling. Show your little children how mommies and daddies love. Whether it's the kids or, like Angie said, just the stress of your job and bills, we've got to realize as a husband and a wife, we're supposed to be on the same team. What if you saw the Dallas Cowboys over on the sidelines cussing their coach and two or three of the players fighting each other and taking all their aggression out on each other instead of a other team on the field? What would you think? Well, first of all, somebody's fixing to get fired. Yeah. Second of all, they ain't going to win any games like that. And that's what's going on in our marriages. We're, fi- we're fighting with one another instead of showing the world that we're a team for God. And... As I've uh, shared, you know, me and Angie shared a little of our past as, as your pastors. 
if that doesn't show you that everybody has struggles, then I don't know what will. So uh, we, we heard another good testimony, and we would like to show you that marriage is a struggle for everybody, and I'd like to uh, get you to welcome Miss Misty Allen. She wants to share a little bit. Maybe Chad, I don't know if we want to trust him up here or not. <laughs> maybe, you just, maybe you just sit there with the Kleenex box. I don't know. Here he comes. Oh. He's coming for support. <laughs> I won't let him have the microphone. First, I just first I just want to say how thankful I am. Thankful I am for my church family. It's uh, I don't know. We've been part of a lot of churches, and this is our family. And I'm so thankful for it. Thankful for a pastor that's obedient, that loves us enough to tell us the truth every Sunday. Even if it means stepping on our toes, because it sure has helped us and our family. Our immediate family and extended family. We've been blessed by your obedience. And I'm going to share a little bit personal business, personal stuff. <laughs> And the reason I don't mind sharing, because we've overcome it, and we've gotten victory over it. So, I'll try not to cry. <laughs> Y'all did not make it easy coming up here saying all that. Um, Chad and I were at a point of co just a couple months ago. We've been married 19 years. We've been serving the Lord together almost just as long. And uh, we just thought about giving up. We were at a point facing certain circumstances that the enemy just kept using against us and just driving a wedge deeper and deeper that um, I wrote this down so I wouldn't ramble. Driving the wedge and it just kept escalating. We both wanted to handle it different ways. You know, he thought his way was right and I thought mine. And even though we'd served the Lord that long, or as long as we had, we wouldn't get ourselves out of the way. We just kept it just kept getting worse. We wouldn't pray about it. We didn't talk. We just argued. And, uh, and that's what the enemy tries to do to families every day. He wants to destroy them. He can't create, so he wants to destroy and pervert what God has done and what God has united and what he's put together. And so he'll keep on, because if he can separate us, that's when we become powerless. But... um. We knew we were being selfish and stupid and going against God's will. But we ignored it anyway. Like I said, our self was in the way. But when you do belong to God, and we have belonged to God, and we still do, he won't just leave you there. Well, the next Sunday, we heard a message on marriage from Pastor Guy. I don't know if it was the family one, but it, had, it was dealing with, it was like God was standing there in front of us talking to us. And we both refused we even were sitting there with our eyes closed praying, knowing we both should have went to the altar and neither one of us did. And it was horrible. Because I don't know if you've ever been disobedient to God, but it's worse than anything else you could ever go through. So the message was on marriage, and I say we both refused. Anyway, we ignored that, went home, went to work. Well, the next day, we were going to go to dinner and eat and talk about how we were going to do this split because we knew it would affect the youngest still at home more than anybody. We didn't care about ourselves. We were past that part. 
Well, that's what, how we felt anyway. Well, while I was at work, the Lord, I never had a, a, like a vision. I've had dreams. But I mean, I was working and had a vision from God. He kept showing me our kids' face. The two still left at home or, you know. And showing me how their past would be different if I continued with this because of my disobedience. So I shared with Chad, we went to dinner, and we were going to discuss all that. What well, never actually came up. We actually, actually talked <laughs> instead of argued over the situation. The situation never came up. We just sit there and talk, enjoyed ourselves. And uh, I think the next morning he sent me a text, said he didn't want to give up what we invested in in 19 years. I mean, we have enough of the Lord and Holy Spirit in us to wake us up, thank goodness. So the next morning, we got up, we did this devotion. It was kind of a corny devotion. It took us back, I mean, watching it was corny, but it took us back to when we first met. And it made us think about how we fell in love and uh, what attracted us to each other. And then it took us, you know, to the middle part. And then it took us to when we first loved Christ. You know, it's, that's where it all begins anyway, when you actually start having a marriage. Let me see if I left something out. Hang on one second. I just want to share real quick the couple of scriptures that were in that devotion. Y'all ignore the shaking. I'm not shaking as bad as I normally do. Because it's not about me. This is about God. When he tells you to do something, you do it. No, it's not. <laughs> but let me tell you what has changed. Because I want to be used by God so bad that I want to conquer that. So, let me just look at these real quick. We did a devotion that was putting God first in your marriage. And we knew all this. 19 years and serving God as long as we have. But the circumstance, what it was, it's like it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So I don't know if I've stressed that before, but we still should have fallen flat on our face and our knees, cried out to God. But when we did the devotion that was putting him first, it showed us that little video and took us back to our love of Christ. And the first scripture was Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So that's what we were doing. We were walking in our own, trying to make our own plan. But we belonged to God, so he was going to direct them. The next one was Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So it just showed us that his hand was on us the whole time in this ignorance and stupor of ours. So after we got done praying and crying like little babies, we asked for forgiveness for our disobedience and decided that we would begin to fight the enemy harder than we were fighting each other. So. I'm not supposed to say that, am I? I feel like you. I don't get a microphone. Oh, but it did bring me, uh, when I was writing this, I started thinking about when uh, Pastor Vickers was here, how he showed us 
you know, when we were arm in arm as a church family and as our family at home. You know, that, that triple braided cord that God has with us, if we let him hold us in that, it, it's harder to separate. So I'm thankful. Thankful that we're going to make this work. I love him. So. I think they need a hug. What's this side hug stuff? Come on, come on. All right, all right. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, Lord. Okay. No, I just want to thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable, for being real. This is what people need. I know everybody in here, if you're married, you go through stuff. You just do. And nobody at any point is above it or you finally get to where it doesn't matter or something can't overtake you. So I really, I know it's not easy to get up here and especially to share stuff. And I just feel like this is what I love about our church too is that we're real. There's real people here. All we're trying to do is just get to Jesus together and overcome it, but there's just everybody's just as normal as you are and have family, kids, everything. So thank you, Misty and Chad, for sharing that. I really thank, thank you. you as God. Who next? No. <laughs> All right, number nine. Leftovers. Why is it so easy to begin to take your spouse for granted over time? Why do they always seem to get put at the end of the list of things? You know, you, you go to work and you give your all and you leave work and you got a softball game, you go play with the guys and then y'all go get pizza afterwards and you get come dragging in home about 11 o'clock and your wife's been working all day with, watching the kids and you walk up in the kitchen and say, how you doing? <laughs> And you expect her to get romantic with that? No. <laughs> don't put her at the end of the list. You know, they say sex begins in the kitchen, but I don't think that's what they mean. <laughs> Once you are consumed with them, guys, you paid a crop duster $400 to write I love you in the sky in Trefland or something, whatever that crazy thing you did. <laughs> and now you can't muster the strength to write I love you on your 20th anniversary card. And ladies, you doodled his name 400 times in your high school yearbook, didn't you? <laughs> now you can't even give him an honorary mention on your Facebook profile and you don't went back to using your maiden tank. Your maiden name. Just look straight ahead. Don't even. <laughs> Nobody got to say anything. We treat our spouses so bad. We feel like we can talk to them nastier than we would talk to our worst enemies. We, I don't know. I guess we think that we're safe doing that because, you know, they're my spouse. I can say whatever I want to them. We, we just talk rude to one another. We don't hear the way we're sounding. We should be treating them like a treasure, thank you, thank you. When, when you mistreat them, you're not safe. You're actually risking the most important thing in your life. You've got to see it, see it 
different way. I'm guilty of these things too. We all are, but we're just trying to help one another here. Because besides God in your life, your spouse is supposed to be the most important. How have you been treating your spouse? Everybody close your eyes. And if you're married, just a moment of clarity. How have you been treating your spouse? If somebody were to come into your house and you didn't know they were there and they, they followed you around for a day, what would they see? Are your, is your spouse getting your best or are they getting your leftovers? And then the tenth thing that we'll talk about I hadn't decided yet. God hadn't guided me. I've got some, so much more stuff that we could talk about marriage. We may end here on this 10th thing, but we may go on next week. There's just a lot of stuff. I don't, I don't know, but the 10th thing is selfishness. Just plain old selfishness. If the love of money is the root of all evil, then the love of self is probably just the root of all sin. It's just self pride, me. It's about, you know, but if self were so great, why did God give you a spouse in the first place? If self were so all-sufficient, why did Adam need an Eve, huh? Our marriages are in desperate need of somebody to put down self for, for a while and put somebody else's needs ahead of their own. You know, that's what that's, what we, that's how we started out before we knew Jesus. But when Jesus came in, you know, self, we're supposed to put that old man in the grave and we're supposed to care more about others than we care about ourselves and do other, unto others as we would have them do unto us and all those things that are so unself-like. So self is, can be one of the biggest enemies of marriage, obviously. Marriage is your chance to grow beyond self and into something so much bigger called us may take compromise, patience, being a bigger person, and a whole lot of other things that self don't like. Like I said, I'd much rather just preach on Jesus. And really, like they said, like we said, like has been inflected in th- every point that we've made, if he's at the center, he's going to work the things out. You know, self will melt away if you're if you're in love with jesus and you're kindling that fire and you're keeping those coals stirred up and jesus is the love of your life you're not going to have a hard time loving your wife or your husband this way it's just going to be an outproduct of your relationship with jesus but if jesus is fading away you don't come to church like you used to i'm just going to tell you not just your marriage but nothing in your life is going to work right we live in a stress-filled world. People pulling their hair out and worse. And guess what? Nothing's going to change until you turn it over to Jesus. He's the only one that's going to get us through this life alive and through to the other side. Has he not been committed to you? We talked about commitment versus feelings. We know he has feelings for us, but, but has he not shown his feelings through his commitment to us? Does he constantly criticize or tear us down? Does Jesus nag you all the time? He's got lots of kids, but has he ever put any of those kids before you? Do you just get his leftovers? Or does he treat you like a priority?
Has Jesus ever put himself before anybody else's interest? When you see him carrying that cross to Calvary, does it look like he's worried about self? He has always put your interest ahead of his own. And he's just wanting us to come into his presence where there's fullness of joy, come into his presence where everything that you need exists, to put him first in your life, to let him change you. It's him that will finish the good work he has started in you. It's him, him in everything. You know, we can't, even if we have the world's greatest marriage, which I do, Even if you have the world's greatest marriage, I can't take credit for it. It's all Him. It's Christ in me. It's Christ in us that gives us the hope of glory. There's nothing good in self. It's a turning over self to Jesus. It's dying to self, taking up your cross daily and following Him. If we all did that, there would be no need for marriage teaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 4 says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. You know all the love scriptures, right? You've heard all this before. You could say that about Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not je jealous, boastful, or proud. Because he is the epitome of love. He's the picture that we get of the Father. He is love. God is love. But what if we put your role there? A husband is patient and kind. Can you put your role in the marriage in this scripture? Can you say a wife is patient and kind? Can you say a husband is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude? A wife does not demand her own way. She's not irritable, keeps no record of being wronged. Can you say a husband does not rejoice about injustice or rejoices, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Our marriage never gives up. Look at your spouse right now and say, our marriage never gives up. Our marriage never gives up. Our marriage never loses faith. Our marriage is always hopeful. Our marriage endures through every circumstance. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.